are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, please. Turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it is going to be in church on Sunday morning, and we're excited. Our family is to be here and be a part of the church, and I want to say thank you for your kindness toward us, all the messages and the, uh, the, the letters, the, the gift cards especially. Thank you for that. And I was really thankful for that Safeway gift card until my wife handed it to me and said, now, would you go to Safeway? Uh, but anyway, thank you for that, and uh, for, uh, just for the kindness you've shown to us. My wife de- is here somewhere, Desiree. Lincoln is in the nursery. Lincoln is two and a half years old, so he's chewing the carpet, climbing the walls over there in the nursery. But uh, we are honored and excited to be here. I don't know about you. I kind of miss the gym. I'm just kidding, preacher. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Psalm 23. Let's look at verse number four. Verse number four. Psalm 23 is a very familiar psalm, and I've read it many times before, and I know you have as well. I've heard it quoted at bedsides, at funerals, different places. But Psalm 23 is a well that people go to to draw comfort from. And there was a time in my life, in our family's life, when I needed some comfort. So I went to Psalm 23, and I knew others had gotten comfort from that well, so I decided to go and see what I could get from it. And though I'd read it many times before, I saw a statement in verse number 4 that God used to help me in that time in our life. In verse number four, there is a statement that is a two-part statement. The first part of the statement will say like this, is a God thing. By that I mean it's bigger than David, it's beyond David. David can't alter it, he can't change it, he can't do anything about it. It's an ordained thing. Providence has put his path in this direction. Here it is, the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say he might walk through it or if he walks through it or he could walk through it. He says, yeah, I'm going through it. There's nothing I can do to change it, to alter it. I must go through that valley. Now, I don't want to be discouraging this morning, but the same thing's true in my life and is true in your life as well. There will be things that come and things that go in our lives that are just bigger than you are. You can't change it. You can't alter it. You can't pray it. You can't dictate it. We'll have to say it like this. It is a God thing. But the second half of the statement is what God used to help me. Because while the first part of the phrase is a God thing, the second half is totally contingent upon David. The Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, now watch the response, I will fear no evil. You see, David had to go through the valley, but he didn't have to fear. He had to go through the valley, but he didn't have to get bitter. He had to go through the valley, but he didn't have to quit on God nor be discouraged. The valley was up to God, but the reaction to it was up to David. Now, for a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought. You and I don't control when they come or when they go. But I want to preach on this thought. You determine the depth of your valley. You can decide how low you go while you're in those points in life. Let's pray, and I'll tell you the premise of the message later into the sermon. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our heart, please. Lord, I pray you'd use this truth in somebody's life like you used it in mine. Lord, I don't know the state, the season that people are in here in this church, but I pray that you would tailor make the message to meet the need of the hour. We need your power, and pray for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a couple of stories to illustrate the truth, and then I'll get into the preaching. 
In July of 1651, three men made a trip on foot from Rhode Island to Lynn, Massachusetts. Those three men were named John Clark, John Crandall, and Obadiah Holmes. All three of those men were Baptist preachers. They made the trip to Lynn, Massachusetts to visit a man by the name of John Witter, a Baptist preacher who was shut in. Now, at that time, it was illegal to be a Baptist in Massachusetts. Now, that's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, what you and I are doing this morning was actually against the law at that period in time in Massachusetts. Now, I've preached in some churches I felt should have been outlawed, but that's hard to believe that this would have been against the law. They held a service in that man's house, and the local law enforcement found out. They busted up the service and arrested all three men, John Clark, John Crandall, and Obadiah Holmes. The first, man, uh, first two men rather, paid their fine and were set free, but the third, Obadiah Holmes, did not pay his fine and was held in prison from July to September of that year. On September, I believe it was September 5th, they escorted him from his cell to Boston Commons. I stood at that place two months ago when I preached in Massachusetts area. And they sentenced the preacher to be whipped 30 times for the crime of being a Baptist. Now, he wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a terrorist. He was being punished for being a Baptist preacher. I read the story, and they tied him to a post, and they stripped the shirt off his back, and a man was told to give the preacher 30 lashes with a whip. The man took his whip, and the story I read said he made his first mark on the preacher's back, and a white line appeared. He swung again, and the white line turned, red line turned redder and redder and redder as he swung. And after some time, the red line opened and blood began to pour from his body. So much blood was shed from that man's back. They said the white cotton pants that he was wearing were stained deep crimson in color. Around either of his feet were gathered pools of blood, yet he never opened his mouth nor made a remark. After they'd beaten the preacher 30 times, they untied him and began to escort him back to his cell. Now I would say he was in pain. I would say that he was in agony unlike many of us have ever experienced. His back was burning. And he looked at the man who had beaten him and he made a statement that has made him famous since. He looked at the man and said, you have beaten me as with roses. Now can I say it was anything but that? I would say he would have liked to have cried out. I would say he was in pain uh, unlike I could even describe to you. But here's what he determined in himself. I can't change the fact I'm a prisoner. I can't change the fact that man has beaten my body. I can't change the fact that I'm in pain. I'd rather not be here, but I am here, but I can do this. That man might break my body, but he'll not break my spirit. And he said, I'll not make it any worse than it is. I'm not going to dig the valley lower. I'll elevate my valley. And he said, you've beaten me as with roses. There's a video. You can see it on YouTube. Some of you might have been there when this took place. But back in 1994 or so at the Northside Baptist Church, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Curtis Hudson sang a song that he made famous, I'm on the winning side. If you ever get the chance, you got to go and watch that. It'll almost make a Baptist shout. I mean, it's good. He's in the pulpit of that church, and he's singing, Once I drifted out in sin, had no joy, no peace within, my soul was burned down with pride. And Then he gets to the chorus, but I'm on the winning side. And there's a couple thousand people in that auditorium, and they're shouting and waving their Bibles. It's a lot like this morning services. But anyway, they're shouting and waving their Bibles, excited, on the winning side. But a lot of folks didn't realize this, maybe today when they watched the video, that he was dying of cancer. In fact, he would die not long after that. All the way to the service, I was told he was stretched out on an RV with an IV put in his body, pumping fluids into him just to give him strength to stand so that he could sing that song. Now, he could have gotten in the pulpit and said, I'm tired and would rather not be here. He could have said, I don't know, God, why do I have to have cancer? 
It's not fair. I'd rather be at home on the couch. Why in the world has this had to happen to me? But can I say that wouldn't have changed the thing. He still would have had the cancer. He still would have been near to death. So here's what he decided in himself. I can't change the fact that I'm tired. I can't change the fact that my body's in pain. I can't change the fact that I might die before anybody else in this building. But I know this, if I was on the winning side, I'm still on the winning side. And he didn't dig the valley any deeper. He elevated his valley. Now, I've heard this statement over and over. Two things in life are certain, death and taxes. And usually when one comes around, we consider the other. But I think we could say it like this. Three things in life are certain, death, taxes, in valleys. Now, I wish it wasn't so. I wish the Christian life was always sunshine and birds singing, flowers sprouting, babies laughing, money in the bank, but it's not. Sometimes the sky gets cloudy. Sometimes the seas get rough. Sometimes the way is rocky, and sometimes the valley is a reality even in the Christian life. Now, don't get me wrong. It's the best life there is to live, but there are still some seasons of storms and struggles even in the Christian life. I like the hymn that we sing. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God. But can I tell you, I'm not always there. The valley's a reality. And I don't doubt in a crowd this size, some of you know this is more than a cliche. You've been there and experienced it and might even be there this morning. There might be some in this room this morning, you know what it is to stand beside a freshly dug grave and say goodbye to somebody that you loved here on earth. Maybe you know what it is to get that phone call in the middle of the night and have your life changed forever. We know what it is to sit in a waiting room at a hospital and anxiously wait for the doctor to come through a set of double doors and we pray, give us good news about our loved one on the other side of the doors. Maybe you know what it is to have somebody who said, I do one day at an altar, wake up and one day say, now I don't and walk out of your life forever. Maybe you've had a friend forsake you, uh, an unexpected financial trouble arise. All I'm saying is this, a valley is a reality to every single one of us. And I don't want to be unkind this morning, but can I say this? I wouldn't change it if I could. Because here's what I believe. I believe God knows better for my life than I know for myself. And I'd much rather be in a valley in the will of God than to miss the valley and be out of God's will. You see, almost like you take a washcloth. Now, where we're from, we call it a washcloth. I didn't want to lose you this morning. But just like you take a washcloth and you'd wring it out and get every drop of water out of that washcloth. And I say, God knows how to get the most glory out of your life. God knows that David might need an Absalom. He knows that Abraham, he might need a Mount Moriah. Job might need to sit in that ash heap. Paul might need the Mamertine prison. But I know this, God knows how to get the most glory out of my life and the most glory out of yours. And the valley might just be the way to do it. So we have to go ahead and resolve to understand the valley is a reality. It's going to come and you can't do anything about it. But the second statement is this, while you can't control when they come or go, you do determine the depth of the valley. I think about Paul. Paul was standing before Agrippa. Paul was standing before a man that could take his very life. The man on the throne literally held Paul's life in his hand. Paul's been sleeping in a prison cell. He's been eating food not fit to eat. He has rats there in his room with him every single night. That man on the throne could kill him at any moment. And they look at Paul and say, Paul, why don't you give us a word? Now, Paul could have said, I don't know why I have to be a prisoner, but the chains would have still been there. I don't know why I have to sleep in this jail cell, but it wouldn't have changed the jail cell. I don't see why I'm in this circumstance. Can I say, if he'd have had a pity party, it wouldn't have changed a thing. It just would have made it that much worse. So here's what Paul did. Paul determined, I can't change the fact I'm a prisoner. I can't change the fact I'd rather not be here. That man could kill me tonight. I don't know. But I know this. If God was good, he's still good. And he looked at Agrippa. And here's what he said. I thank myself 
happy. I want to say, wait a minute, Paul, happy? You didn't just hear good special singing. Happy, you're not sitting in a padded pew. Happy, that wasn't a Hampton Inn, that's your jail cell. He says, I know that, but God is on his throne and I can't change the circumstance, but I can control my attitude about my circumstance. I think myself happy. I think about John on the Isle of Patmos. John has been boiled alive for being a preacher. They've exiled John and put him on a, an isolated, desolate island called Patmos. There he is, a rock for his pillow, the weather beating upon his sore flesh, the buzzard circling around his head waiting to have John for supper. He's there on that island, no doubt a horrible circumstance, but I read his testimony and here's what he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now I want to say, wait a minute, John. What do you mean in the spirit? Well, that wasn't a Bible conference you just left, John. You didn't just get a pay raise at work, John. What do you mean, John? Those buzzards want to eat you, John. What do you mean? Here's where he determined. If he was good, when I laid my head on his breast in the upper room, I guess he's good on Patmos. And if I could serve him there, I can serve him here. And if I could trust him then, I can trust him today. So he went ahead and cleared off the spot, determined I'll have revival anyhow, and said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now listen, you can't control when they come, but you can control how low you go when you're in the valley. You can be happy in front of your own Agrippa. You can be in the spirit on your own Patmos. And yea, though we walk through the valley, we don't have to fear any evil. Now Psalm 23 is a psalm of comfort. Thank God David knew affliction, but he also knew comfort. And I'm glad his comfort can be our comfort. I was reading through Psalm 23 and I came to verse number four and I found a statement a statement that God used to speak to my heart, and I noticed this statement is full of faith and void of any doubt whatsoever. Can I say a lost man could never make the statement, but sometimes it's hard for a saved man to make the statement. Now, the first half, I said, is a God thing. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, listen to me. He doesn't say he might walk through it. He didn't say if he walked through it. He doesn't say if he could walk through it. He says, yea, though. He said, I am walking through it. Providence has put my path through that valley. I cannot pray it. I can't run from it. I can't change it. It's a God thing, and I've got to go through that valley. But listen, it's not just a hangnail valley. It's not just a flat tire. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's a treacherous place, an adverse place. It's a difficult place, a hard place, something that he's never gone to before. He doesn't know what waits for him there. He just knows that he has to go through it. I read that, and I thought, God, that's where we are as a family. That's where I am as an individual. I feel like we're going through waters that we've never sailed before. I, I don't know what lies ahead, and neither did David. He doesn't know what pitfalls are there. He doesn't know what snares await. There could be a robber, a beast in the valley. He doesn't know what what's in that valley? And I resolved to understand I can't control the circumstances of life. It's a God thing. Yep. But then I got to the second half and I almost oh. shouted. I got to the second half of the verse and I read David's response to his situation. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley, I can't change that, but I can control this. I can't control the valley, but I can control David. And he says, I will fear no evil. You see what he says? I can't change my path. I can't change my circumstance. I can't dictate my situation, but I can control my attitude about all of those things, and I'll not make it worse than it is. If I have to go through the valley, so be it. But I'm going to sing as loud as I can in the valley. I'm going to pray as fervently as I can in the valley. I'm going to step as high as I can in the valley. I won't let the outside determine the inside, but I'll let my inside dictate my outside, and though I walk through it. I'll fear no 
evil. David, what do you mean, fear no evil? Look at the circumstance. Look at the situation. How can you say that? Here's how he said it. You know when you and I read Psalm 23, we always think about the valley. Is that not true? But you understand that David speaks about the valley in one phrase of one verse. He brags on the shepherd in every verse. How did David have the attitude that he had? His shepherd to valley ratio was totally one-sided. You know what we often do? Emphasize the negative. Minimize the positive. And we look at the, we look at the leaking pipe. Right? We look at the person who's sideways with us. We look at the disease, we look at the doctor's report, and forget about the fact that God is there regardless. Because you see the next statement, you say, David, how can you go through it? Not fear, for thou art with me. I saw that he didn't run through the valley. He didn't jump through the valley. He walked. That means he's confident. That means he's settled. That means he's sure. Why? Because the shepherd that led him to it will lead him through it. You say, what are you preaching this morning? Here's what I'm preaching. You can't keep cancer from coming. But you can keep bitterness from coming. You can't keep a tragedy from happening. But you can keep doubting God from happening. That's wonderful. Wow. You can't keep gossip from coming. But you don't have to gossip. Hello? Amen. People hurt people. But just because you've been hurt doesn't mean you have to hurt. I can't control this. But I should be able to control wow. this. You ever heard of the statement that attitude affects altitude? But I like it better like this. Faith in God ought to affect my altitude. Yeah, amen. Here's how you do it. If we were to have one of you strong men, well, I don't see any of those, but one of you men, I'm just kidding. One of you men come up here and stand on this pulpit and had another man get down there, Brother Martinez or somebody like that, get down there and say, jump and he'll catch you. <laughs> well, let's do it like this. If I had a little boy come up here, they would do it. One of these young men, if I had them get up here and said, jump, I had the preacher get down there and said, jump. You know what they do? They jump. You know why? Because boys are stupid. I'm just <laughs> you ought not laugh. You marry us. Hello. But they would jump. They wouldn't think about insurance payment. They wouldn't think about the distance. They wouldn't think about the physical abilities. They wouldn't think about any kind of neck injury or back or unemployment. They'd just see that man down there and say, he told me I jumped. They'd focus on the man who said jump and I'll catch you, and they would jump. But then if we had one of us men get up here, and the preacher, if, you should, you should, if anybody could trust us, the preacher... And said, get up here, brother, and you're the preacher's going to catch you. You know what we'd think about? Oof, I don't even think he likes me. <laughs> you say, these hips don't lie. I don't think I could even jump off that pulpit. What about my insurance? And we think about all the negatives and never jump. Can I say the way to have this attitude in the valley is to quit focusing on the things you can't control and focus on the constant in your life, which is God is on his throne. You're still on your way to heaven. David's in the valley, but thank God he's still a child of God. He still has the power of prayer. He still has the Holy Spirit to guide him. And can I say the same is true in my life and it's true in your life as well. I think about the story of the young girl who at six weeks of age was made blind at the hands of a man who was pretending to be a doctor. You know who she is. At six weeks of age, this man told her mother to put hot mustard poultices upon that little baby's eyes and it would cure her of her eye trouble. And the mother, not knowing any better, did that and it made the girl go completely blind. Not too many months after that, that girl's father passed away and the mother had to make ends meet by cleaning houses for people. She grew up in poverty and in the valley of blindness. If anybody had it right, we would say on the fleshly side, be mad at God, bitter at God, and live that kind of a life, it would be that girl made blind by some man. She became a young lady, and a man said to her at a meeting, he said, if there's one thing I could wish for you, it was that you had sight. 
She said, if there's one thing I could ask of God, it was that I was born blind. So the first face I would have ever seen would be the face of my Lord. That little blind girl became a woman who, because she couldn't see the light, let others see the light through her songs. So many songs she wrote, they had to use fake names for her in the hymnals of her day, so not every page would say Fanny Crosby. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Why? Because she made a decision in that valley not to dig it any deeper, but to elevate that valley. It's like the old illustration the preachers would use about the boys playing baseball. And the man walked up to the right fielder and said, son, what's the score? And he said, well, we're getting beat 42 to nothing. They got the bases loaded and we got zero outs. He said, man, you're getting killed. He said, no, we hadn't got the bat yet. You got to elevate your valley. Let me give you a few statements in close. Number one, the testimony that you've built on the mountain is too valuable to waste in your valley. People spend a lifetime living faithful to God, and then when trial comes, they don't lean or stand on truth. They run from truth. Now, this isn't fair, but this is reality. People don't remember how you acted before your valley. They remember how you reacted in your valley. Statement number two is this. The Somebody ought to, I think I might write a song about this. The God you worshiped on the mountain is still God in the valley. I'm thinking about writing a song about that. Did you know that God's not just good when you think he is? He's good whether, whether or not you feel like he's always good because he's God. And God doesn't change and God doesn't alter and God doesn't move. He's immutable, always the same. And here's what, here's what I've discovered. The, the God in the ash heap, the God that was there when Job had it all was God in the ash heap. The God of the Damascus road was God in the Mamertine prison. God... Amen. The God there by the seashore of Galilee was also God when Peter was in prison, then God again on the day of Pentecost. And can I say, God's not just God when, he, when you feel like He is. He's not just worthy when we think He is. He's not just worth our worship when we feel like it. He's always good. He's always God. And He's always on the throne. Thank God He's God in the delivery room, but He's also got the funeral home. He's God in abundance. He's God in lack. He's God in the day and He's God in the night. God is always God and He's always worthy. Can I say that praise is cheap whenever we praise things because a lot of times we worship God for what God does and not because of who he is. Praise God, but what you're really praising God for is the money in the bank and the car that runs well and the house to live in. And thank God for his blessings. But I think the best kind of praise is when everything else is stripped away and the only reason you have to rejoice is that he's still God. Statement number three is this. Your valley is not the only valley. Other people have been through things worse and they made it. That means you could too. I honestly think some folks like being miserable so they have something to talk about. (laughs) They always talk about that one thing, but can I say, no matter how bad you have it, somebody has it worse. And the grace of God that was sufficient for them, thank God it's just as sufficient for you. And then statement number five, and I'll give you the, or statement number four, and I'll give you the, the story that sparked the message. God's in control of the valley, but I think he'll let you and I determine the depth. I'll say it again, you can't keep sickness from coming but you can control the reaction. Tragedy, can't keep it from coming, but you control the reaction. My wife and I will be married 13 years tomorrow. Did you get that? Our address, never mind. But anyway, 13 13 years tomorrow. We have a little boy named Lincoln that is two and a half years old. That is a long time to be married and not have children. And I am in the worst kind of work to be in and not have children. Because we traveled and preached 400 times a year around the country for 12 year, 11, 12 years of that without children. And the first thing every Baptist wants to know when you get to their church is, where's your kids? Why don't you have kids? When are you going to have kids? Don't you like kids? Don't you know how that happens? And they're just nosy. Yeah. 
We'd go church to church, and they'd want to see our kids and things, and they'd say, don't, don't you like kids? And we'd say, not they grow up to be like you. But anyway, um, that's just what they would do. <laughs> it's just how it was. But what they didn't know is we were having trouble having children. My wife has told this testimony at ladies' conferences and things, but she has a condition that the doctors told us that we probably weren't going to be able to have children at all. We tried everything there was to do to have children. It kind of gets hard. It's sort of a valley a little bit when you're trying to live for God and you see people accidentally, they would say, have children in the back of a car someplace or go out and get drunk and make a mistake and have an abortion. And you kind of ask yourself questions. Why, God, can't we have a baby? Every Baptist witch doctor in America tried to help us. I mean, you go to these different churches, and you know how you are, ladies, with these essential oils. And everybody would try to, they would, they would prescribe us their own concoction of essential oils. They would say, if you rub this behind your ear, you eat a tree root from the east side of a, a west-facing mountain, drink spring water, turn around five times on a full moon, bark like a dog, you might get pregnant. Some of you men would like to laugh, but you can't because you're like a diffuser for lavender right now. But they tried it all, but they didn't know. We, 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 were, we were seeing specialists and paying out money and trying to have children. We couldn't. I was preaching in Florida, and I'd been gone from home for a, for a long time, about a month. I used to do that sometimes before we had Lincoln. And my wife called me, and I didn't know this, but she, had, she, was, she was pregnant and hadn't told me. She already made plans on how to tell me and, you know, all these things, but it was going to wait until I got home. I was in a hotel room on a Tuesday morning in Florida, I got a phone call from my wife about 10 in the morning, and when I said, hello, she didn't say anything. I said, hello, and she whimpered back to the phone, hello. And right then, my, my heart dropped, and my, I said, what, what's going on? She said, well, I wanted to wait till you came home. She said, I'm sitting in the parking lot of the church. She said, I was trying to wait till you came home to tell you. She said, but I've been pregnant. And I said, hallelujah. I said, we've been praying for this. She said, but I woke up this morning and didn't feel good. And she said, I went to the doctor, and she said, I wanted to call and tell you. She said, I don't know what to do. She said, but I lost that baby this morning. I never felt pain like that before. That's all we prayed about. That's all we'd wanted. I couldn't go home and see her. I'd flown there, didn't have any way to get to the house. And I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I had to preach that night, church about 500 people. I could have cared less. I'm not that spiritual. I didn't care if they got preached to or not. I didn't want to see them. I wanted to see my wife. I wasn't so much hurt for the baby. I know where the baby is, but I was hurt for her that she was alone. I called a couple of people and things, talked to my mom on the phone, and I wanted to crawl under the covers and just stay there. And it was in that hotel room I went to Psalm 23. And the only reason I went there is because I knew other people had gotten help from there, and I thought, well, God, if you could do it for them, maybe you could do it for us. And I went to Psalm 23, and I saw that statement, yea, though I walked through the valley, and I thought, that's where I'm at. I've never been here before. That's where I am. But then I saw the second half. David said, you know what? I'm I'm there, but I can still be David just like I was David before. I'll fear no evil. And I had to make a decision in that hotel room what to do. Call the preacher and cancel that night, go to church and tell everybody what happened and have us all cry together. Or number three, trust God's grace to be sufficient. Go to church and preach like I just won a million dollars and see what God would do. And I'm not saying I'm super spiritual because you'll find out that I'm not, but I'll do tell you this, God helped us, helped me to go preach that night and those folks didn't know. And they didn't know until a couple years after when I told the preacher what happened to me that day. 
Now, I don't know what you're facing or if you're facing anything, but I'll tell you this, they come, and you can't do anything about it. But though you walk through the valley, thank God, you don't have to fear any evil. You determine the depth of the valley. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.